Welcome, everybody, to the gathering. How's everyone doing tonight? Wonderful. We're grateful that you're here tonight. If you would make your way to a table, make sure you're sitting with people. What's up with the front row? What's going on? That's all right. I won't take it personally. Uh, Grateful that you're here tonight because tonight is a very special night. Tonight is the beginning of the end. The end of the book of Daniel. Tonight's our very last night, and maybe along this path, along this journey, it's been like climbing a mountain. Uh, There's a lot of weird stuff we've been through in the book of Daniel, and tonight is probably the cream of the crop, probably the weirdest of weird stuff. But we're going to climb this mountain with our hands wide open, right? Ready to receive what God has for us. So hey, let's kick it off with a little group talk tonight. Uh, talk to the people around you, around your table, and come up with what you believe to be the best and worst ending to a movie or a book or a story. So each table will give me two, the best and the worst. All right, ready to go. Okay, 30 more seconds. Everybody give me a thumbs up if your table's done, if you got it. All right, everyone else, you're already done, so we'll figure it out. All right, let's hear what you believe to be. We'll go with the best movie or book or story ending of all time. We'll start with the best. So this group right here. Titanic Titanic has the best ending? I'm done. I'm out of here. We've gone over this before, especially at the gathering, that there was plenty of room on that raft for the both of them. So that was the worst ending. I mean, we all knew it was coming, right? Titanic sinks. The heartthrob dies. Yeah. Uh, What about the, the best? Gone with the wind. Is that an HD? All right. How about this group right here? The worst ending. Superman versus Batman was apparently the, the worst ending. All right, and how about the best ending here? 
They didn't come up with that. All right. All the Disney, happily ever after. Let's go to uh, Jacob's group right here. Yeah, I thought that was a comedy, but I guess not. Sorry. So a walk to remember is the worst, and then the best? Wait, I can't hear. You guys, you guys were supposed to figure this out like five minutes ago. Right here. Miracles from heaven. All right. Wow, you even got a clap. All right, let's, let's hear from uh, this group over here. Lovely ladies. The notebook is the best ending. And the worst is gone with the wind. Okay. All right. Michelle, your table. Best and worst. The worst is Sopranos. I don't think that's a Disney one. But uh, what's the other one? The best is... Pay it forward. All right. Let's get a good movie here. Come on. Best movie right here. Best movie ending or book or whatever. You didn't ask for a movie. Best and worst ending to a book. Movie, etc. That's okay. Oh, you didn't pick a movie. Okay. All right. We'll figure it out. We'll come back to you guys. Lisa, your group. Best ending is Shrek. All right. And the worst, Shrek 1. All right. And the best, or the worst ending? You guys talked about this, right? This is taking like so long. Passion of the Christ is the worst ending? I mean, oh, okay. It stops right as he's getting resurrected. All right, David, your table. Help me out, man. That was the worst, probably, movie, but uh, <laughs> it's hard when you have a bad beginning and bad ending. All right. That was the worst ending? The best ending. I know. Jesus dies for the salvation of the world. Right? That's pretty good. All right. Garingers, your group. Or just Sharon. Oh, the best book, Bible. Nice. All right, you guys, bring me something good. God is not dead is the best or worst. Okay, best ending. What about the worst? Into the wild, yeah, that's a rough one. All right, well, nice work, guys. Uh, Tonight, we conclude the book of Daniel, a strange and challenging book about visions, decisions, and lion collisions. From fiery furnaces to eating vegetables instead of choice foods, to a den full of lions, to visions of multi-headed, multi-winged creatures, this book has been captivating and confusing. But I hope that it's also been inspiring and uplifting. That even when evil empires arise and the righteous people seem doomed to destruction, 
God still sits on the throne. And he's not finished yet. You know, at funerals, I often share about how when I was a young boy, my dad and I, we used to read together. And one of my favorite books that we read from was a book of poems by a a man named Robert Frost. And there was a a poem that I cherished so much that I memorized it. It was a a poem about uh, snowy woods, a restless horse, and a traveler on his way home. But what I cherished most about this poem called Stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening was the ending, which reads... But I have promises to keep, and miles to go before I sleep, and miles to go before I sleep. And that's the way I picture God this evening. That God has promises to keep and a long way still to go to make them good. And so tonight, as the curtain falls, as the pages are finished, as the book closes, the story certainly does not end. But now, as we plunge into the book of Daniel tonight, for the last time, let us enter again into the world, into the vision of destruction and hardship and persecution. So if you would, would you stand with me as we begin with Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. Here it begins as the angel continues to relay the message to Daniel. At that time, Michael, the great prince who watches over your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress unlike any other from the nation's beginning up to that time. But at that time, your own people, all those whose names are found written in the book, will escape or be saved or rescued or delivered. Let's pray. God, I ask that tonight you would give us your eyes and your ears to see and to hear and our hearts would be open to receive what you have for us tonight. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So our text begins tonight with Michael. Michael is the big dog of angels. Maybe your Bible has him listed as the ark Angel, really important individual, he arises or will arise, and there will be a time of hardship for the Israelite people. But the people will eventually experience salvation or deliverance or escape. This end time will be definitely a time of intense persecution of the Jews, but it will show God's faithfulness even more. And all those, it says, whose names are written in the book will escape. What book are we talking about? Moby Dick, Gone with the Wind, Tale of Two Cities. Uh, The Book of Life? What what does it say there, though? The book. I don't know. It's the book. Probably the book of life, but it's simply here mentioned as the book. Well, whatever the case, now comes the message, the most urgent part of of all, It constitutes one of the most radical innovations in the history of Old Testament religion. And here it comes, verse 2. Many of those who sleep in the dusty ground will awake, some to everlasting life and others to shame and everlasting abhorrence. Abhorrence means like disgusted loathing. 
This doesn't sound like a lot of the passages you might read in the Old Testament. This sounds very New Testament-ish. Why? What is this talking about? What was it talking about? No. Resurrection. Yeah, the dead will rise. This is talking about the resurrection. There it is. The first and only unambiguous reference to what's called a double resurrection of the dead. While Ezekiel chapter 37 and Isaiah 26, 19, with their valley of dry bones and your dead shall live images, while they certainly approach the subject of resurrection, Daniel 12, 2, here in our text, is the only undisputed reference to a literal double resurrection found in the Old Testament. Here it is. What do I mean by double resurrection? What does that mean? The resurrection of the just and the unjust. The righteous just who have died will receive the peace and joy that they were denied in life, while the unrighteous or the unjust dead will receive the contempt they deserved but they never received in life. Does that make sense? A double resurrection. And that's the thing. It's interesting. It's like everyone will be resurrected, some to everlasting life, some to everlasting death. What's also interesting is that Jesus died for everyone. And the death that Jesus died is a death of forgiveness for everyone. So that means those people who don't put their trust and their hope and their assurance and their life in Jesus go to that other place, but they go to that place forgiven, which is very strange. But here we have a double resurrection of the righteous and the unrighteous. The Old Testament has a a strange way of looking at dying, of envisioning dying. It meant lying down with your ancestors in the family tomb. This is also kind of talked about as the place or the realm of the dead named Sheol. But this image that Daniel's talking about isn't about like just, you know, being with your ancestors in a tomb. It's about restoring the whole person to life. Spiritual, physical, all the material aspects being raised up. Verse 3 says, But the wise will shine like the brightness of the heavenly expanse, and those bringing many to righteousness will be like the stars forever and ever. I think this shining like the brightness of the heavenly expanse, I I think that it simply means that Glorious rewards will follow resurrection. I think a lot of people get really messed up on this part. They think we were going to become angels because stars are sometimes a reference to angels. When you look at the book of Job or or Judges or in the uh, Mormon faith that that we somehow have something to do with stars. It, It says we will become like stars or at least these people here in Daniel will shine like the brightness of the heavenly expanse. I think it simply means that glorious rewards await those who experience resurrection. Well, those people who remain faithful to God, they will receive glory. 
those who lead others to do right will as well. Their glory will be like the glory of stars, as in the firmament, as in the sky above. That's what I think that the angel is simply portraying here in this beautiful parallel. I mean, look at the picture of the stars. It's beautiful, right? It's a beautiful parallel to the glory that we receive at the resurrection. Verse 4 says, But you, Daniel, close up these words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many will dash about and knowledge will increase. So the angel tells Daniel to close up this record of this revelation. The phrase, close up these words, it doesn't mean that Daniel should try and keep them to himself, but that he should preserve this revelation because it was important. In the ancient Near East, in this ancient world that we've been exploring, when people wrote documents, like official contracts, they'd keep a copy They would make a copy and keep it for reference, and they would deposit the original in a safe place. By closing it up, Daniel would certify that what stood written was exactly what God had revealed to him. In the meantime, many will dash about frantically, running around, trying to figure out what's going on. This many will dash about seems to be an allusion to Amos chapter 8 verse 12, which reads, People will stagger from sea to sea and from north around to the east. They will wander about looking for a revelation from the Lord, but they will not find any. Verses 5 through 6 continues, I, Daniel, watched as two others stood there, one on each side of the river. One said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, When will the end of these wondrous events occur? So, I want you just to picture this scene that's unfolding here. There are angelic beings on either side of the Tigris River. And there's a man who's clothed in linen, who's perpetually hovering over the water. And somebody asks this question. When will the end of these wondrous events occur? The book here ends with an extended Q&A session. A question and answer. Here's question number one. When will the end of these wondrous events occur? In other words, what's the timeline for all of this? For these things that have to do with Israel's persecution and deliverance. Verse 7 says, Then I heard the man clothed in linen who was over the waters of the river as he raised both his right and his left hands to the sky and made an oath by the one who lives forever. So after a dramatically and curiously overstated oath, normally when you would make an oath, you would just raise like one hand to heaven, as we see in Deuteronomy 32 Verse 40, but here it's dramatically overstated that an oath is being made to God. It is for a time, times and half a time. Then, when the power of the one who shatters the holy people has been exhausted, all these things will be finished. So here we get a very vague answer to question number one. Uh, Apparently, it will occur... For a time, times, 
and half a time. Anyone want to take a stab at what that might mean? You think that's like a long time or a short time? A long time? Raise your hand if you think it's a long time. Raise your hand if you think it's a short time. Raise your hand if you have no idea. People like to say this is three and a half years. I'm like, how, how do you get that? Well, a time. Time is a year. Time's uh, two years. There's a duality there. And half a time. That means half a year. So three and a half years. I don't get it. I don't know what they're trying to say. It sounds kind of kooky to me. But apparently three and a half years. Or it simply might refer to a time only known to God. Which I think is probably a good way to go. God knows. But a sign that the end is near will be, as we see here, the breaking of the power of God's people and their helplessness before their enemies. But then the oppressor of the holy people will be brought down and the story will be brought to its completion. I think that this might refer to the persecution of that guy we've been talking about, Antiochus IV. Antiochus Epiphany. Remember the guy who, Epiphanes, who uh, decided to desecrate the temple of Jerusalem by setting up an an image of himself as Zeus and uh, offering a pig on the altar and killing babies and doing all sorts of stuff. I think it might refer to the end of the persecution brought about by this individual. Verse 8 says, I heard, but I did not understand, like everybody else here years after. So I said, here comes question number two, sir, what will happen after these things? So what happens after the end? Despite his wisdom and despite his years of experience in interpreting revelations from God... Daniel doesn't understand what the outcome of all these events will be. So he asked again what the end would be like. Verse 9 said, he said, here comes answer number 2, as the angelic being responds, Go, Daniel, for these matters are closed and sealed until the end of time. I mean, sorry, bro, you don't get to know. But Daniel... I think in this response, is told to live in trust. Go. Go your way. You can also see this translated. But he doesn't understand everything. Go. He can live in trust because he's been assured that the end of its times and the end outcome are in God's hands. You know, today... Uh, every Wednesday, I go and hang out with some high schoolers at Cam High. I, I don't know why. I just got roped into it. Uh, I know one of the teachers there at Cam High, and he stopped me in the beginning of the school year. And he said, hey, can you, can you come and bring pizza and be a part of this club called Answers Bible Club? And I'm like, sure. I think I can do that. And so every Wednesday, I come and I, I bring pizza. And there's like 30, 40 uh, high school students there, and we talk about God's stuff, and we explore biblical passages. Today we watched a a video, and it had Billy Graham, and it also had a couple of other people. It was really powerful. I was like in the back, like crying, like tearing up and just weeping, and everyone else was just like 
watching the video, but here I was. It really struck me, but what, what, he, what he said, it, it really struck a chord with me. It was, I don't need to understand everything. I don't need to understand everything. I need to believe. And to believe means to commit. I like that. I'm like, that guy's pretty smart. They should put him on TV sometimes, you know? Someone should talk about him. I don't need to understand everything. I need to believe, and to believe means to commit. I want you to talk to the people around your table about this. Do do you trust or believe or have faith in God? If so, why? And then, is this possible if you don't understand everything? In what area or areas do you need to trust or believe or have more faith in God? Ready, go.
Okay, one more minute. One more minute. Make sure everyone gets a chance to share. Let's wrap it up. Well, if this subject matter that we're exploring here tonight in the book of Daniel was not confusing enough, uh, I want to teach you some Latin because that, that's a lot more clear, right? Uh, this is from uh, Anselm of Canterbury. His famous line, Fides carens intellectum. Everybody try and say that. Fides carens Intellectum means faith seeking understanding. In other words, we believe in order to understand. The understanding everything starts first with faith. And when we have faith, we can understand the things that we see. That we have faith and seek Understanding. It doesn't go the other way around. Faith has to start. And then through faith, through belief, through trust, through commitment, we then can understand. Does anyone in here have a, a problem with faith tonight? If you're, you know, you have a lack of faith, sometimes you feel lack of faith. Well, I have a word for you tonight, a very spiritual word tonight, from the great theologian Darth Vader. I find your lack of faith disturbing. You know, did you notice Dustin Anderson walked out of the room because he does not like anything to do with Star Wars, especially on May the 4th, which is Star Wars Day. May the 4th be with you. So if you see him, make sure you tell him May the 4th be with you. Anyways, faith, seeking understanding, I think is critical. And that's how we, we need to see the world, through faith. Okay, this situation's impossible. Well, I have a God who can do things that are impossible. Who makes the impossible possible. Don't have a faith that, that is disturbing. Or your lack of faith that's disturbing. Have a faith that's bold. Amen? All right, let's continue here. In the world, the pattern of struggle will continue. Verse 10 says, Many will be purified, made clean, and refined. I think this refers to those who are righteous, who are dying for their faith. They die in the fight for righteousness. But the wicked will go on being wicked. In other words, in our world, it seems like the rich get richer, the poor get poorer. The wicked get wicked. None of the wicked will understand, though the wise will understand. 
So the wicked will continue in sin because they don't understand the significance of what is happening in the world. Remember, they don't see from a perspective of faith first. They have a faith that's a lack of faith that's disturbing. The wise, however, do understand. They see that God's will and power, that God's will, that God's power are directing and shaping the course of human history. The wise who look at life and history with the eyes of faith see that a life dedicated to God is not a wasted life. It's a life that's worth it. Verses 11 through 12, here we get answer 2.5, I like to call, to to the question that we saw previously posed. What, What happens at the end? From the time that the daily sacrifice is removed and the abomination that causes desolation is set in place, there are 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits and attains to the 1,335 days. Now the angel addresses Daniel's request and provided a little bit more information. Last time he said, sorry, bro, it's sealed up. Uh, You don't get to know any of it. But apparently here he gets a little bit more information. As these things were unclear to Daniel, they are very unclear to modern contemporary interpreters today. And it's certainly unclear to me. But let's give it a stab. What's the deal with these numbers? Verse 11, the angel returns to the issue of the temple desecration. Verse 11 says, From the time that the daily sacrifice is removed and the abomination that causes desolation is set in place, there are 1,290 days. 1,290 days is approximately 3.5 years. This was close to the length of time during which Antiochus IV, Antiochus Epiphanes, took over the temple and set up his own altar there. 1,335 days is 45 days more. Those who continue in righteousness through these days to the end will be blessed. They will see the vindication and promise of God. All I can say is be faithful. I think that's what uh, gets told to Daniel here in verse 13. But you should go your way until the end. You will rest and then at the end of the days you will arise to receive what you have been allotted. And that's how the book of Daniel ends. Daniel's life and the book of Daniel end with a view into the future, a future that is determined by God. Daniel is offered a blessing, the blessing of rest. In this context, rest probably means death. But you should go your own way to the end. You will rest. Or in other words, die at the end of the days you will arise. It seems to be this rest is about death because rising for his reward at the end of days is clearly a promise that he will share in this resurrection of the just, of the holy, promised in 12.2. So the book began with wisdom stories with memorable stories of young men chosen for privilege because of their wisdom, and with accounts of Daniel's successes because of his divine gift of wisdom. 
But wisdom has come to mean something more and a little bit different in these latter chapters. Wisdom may lead to suffering and it may lead to death rather than prosperity. Wisdom is a gift that those who possess it are to convey it to the many. The wise have become servants with a mission. Rewards for the wise may come at a great cost, but they are certain. For wisdom itself, the strength to persevere and even victory over death. They are the gifts of the God of Israel. Well, how do you close a book like this? How do you close a book about visions, decisions, and lion collisions? I think the most proper way to close is with another book about visions, decisions, and lion collisions. The last page of the final Narnia book by C.S. Lewis. It's called The Last Battle. It begins, as he, this is referring to Aslan, the great lion, also the allegorical character of Jesus. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that had began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has ever read, which goes on forever in which every chapter is better than the one before. They die at the very end. They die in in an accident. And this is what gets revealed to them about the true life that begins. But Daniel here, his story doesn't end on a sour note, on a bitter note, as he will face death. Because he will face resurrection. And this resurrection is real. I mean, I used to think, I remember thinking about heaven as a very cloudy place. In good, good terms. Not like cloudy, overcast, and gray. But like a bright and shining, cloudy, kind of not really real place. But the more and more I read scripture, and the more I get to know God, and the more I, I'm learning to pray the more I begin to see that that God made material. He made earth. And I think that what we have here and what we see is, is hardly reality compared to the God of the universe. But that's true life that awaits us. So let's continue to press on in faith and wisdom, realizing that this life is so important. Every moment is important. Yeah, Sawyer, you know what I'm talking about. Let's close in prayer. Father, you are marvelous. We are blown away and we confess, God, that we definitely don't understand it all. When we come to to a subject matter like this, 
we come humbly before you and realize that, God, we, we need you more than ever. God, we ask that you would fill us up, that we would be changed after our experience in the book of Daniel. That, God, we would learn to exalt you, to praise you, even in difficult circumstances, in trial and in hardship. I pray, God, that you would be with us and that you would firm up our faith, that we would see the world through your lens, that we would get to know you better, that we would get to know the people around us better. And in this life of faith, our eyes would be open to what you are doing. For you are the living God and you endure forever. And we know and we believe wholeheartedly that your kingdom will not be destroyed. Your kingdom is the most important thing. And your authority is forever. We believe, God, that you rescue and that you deliver, that you perform signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. So, Father, rescue us from a life of apathy. Rescue us from a life of selfishness. Deliver us, Lord, from a life of boredom and complacency. But excite us and ignite us to go and send forth your message. So send us out, Lord. Prepare us, we pray. We love you with all our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you so much.